the objection I hear a lot from authors and thought leaders is like, well, nobody needs another newsletter. But the mistake that we're making is that we're assuming that everyone else is just like us. And there are a lot of people out there in the world who are not creating content, they're consuming content. They're looking for resources. Plug into the minds of the world's cutting edge innovators, visionaries, and thought leaders who are rewriting the rules of sales and success. It's your time to make an impact. I am your host, Jason Mark Campbell, and this is the Selling with Love podcast. Hi, everybody. This is Jason Mark Campbell, and welcome back to the Selling with Love podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about something we all need to do. And if you are struggling with making yourself shine, making your reach go further, having people pay attention to the work that you're doing, we're going to want to bridge that gap between the skills you have offline and really making that shine online. And the guest that I have for you today is Becky Robinson, who's the founder and CEO of Weaving Influence. It's a full service marketing agency. They specialize in digital and integrated marketing services and PR for book authors, business leaders, coaches, trainers, speakers, thought leaders. Now, Becky herself is an entrepreneur, a digital marketer, an author, and a podcaster. Her book, which is coming out April, 2022 is called reach, create the biggest possible audience for your message book or cause. And she's actually a host of the book marketing action podcast. She's a wealth of information working with people that I've had a chance to interview on this show, which is how I first got to know Becky as she brings me amazing clients regularly from the nonfiction book author realm. And given that a lot of you are authors, speakers, coaches, small business owners with a message. Let's see if we can make you shine a little more online with all these techniques that are really useful for those who want to grow their reach and make that bigger impact. Becky Robinson, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Jason. It's great to be with you. Now, congratulations, or maybe I should hold my congratulations. I know a book is on the way, but you've been operating this business and representing clients for a few years now. So I'd love to maybe go through the history of how you got started in running this agency. Sure, I'd be happy to, Jason. So it's a bit of a funny story because I chose to step out of the workforce in 2001 when I had my first child. And in about 2008, my husband asked me what I'd like to do for work. And I laughed. I had three kids at home. I was homeschooling. He had a busy job that kept him away. And so I started doing a bit of freelance writing. I'd always loved writing. And through that, got introduced to the world of digital marketing. I used Twitter to grow audience for a blog. I use Facebook pages to help promote a university program. And soon I found myself being approached by authors after I helped an author launch his first book. And people said, hey, could you help us use social media to bring more attention to our books? And so in about 2012, I took the leap to found my own agency. I started to hire some contractors, later hired employees, and we've been working with authors and thought leaders now for nearly a decade. That is fantastic. And I'm sure you must realize how time flies as you state the decade. And when you are choosing people to work with, like, why is it that it's so difficult for us to get our message out if we're so used to being on the offline world? Like, is there a bridge that we need to cross when it comes to showing what we can do online versus what we've been doing offline? Maybe it's word of mouth, face to face and small groups. What's that gap that people need to kind of understand? Sure. I'd be happy to talk about that. So what I notice, Jason, with my clients quite often is that when you get to the point in your career that you're going to write a nonfiction book, you likely have invested most of your energy in building that offline career. And so people know about you because you've been teaching them or you've been consulting with them or you've been training them. And people get so busy in building that expertise, which is fantastic, but 
what they sometimes don't do is choose to invest in building an online presence. And so often when I meet people, what I want to do is help to close that influence gap that you see. So they have this real world influence, but if you go to Google them or look for them online, it doesn't match. And so in the work that I've done over the last 10 years, what I've been trying to do is help people realize that when they choose to show up in powerful ways in online spaces, if they choose to show up online in the same powerful way that they've shown up offline, then what they can do is they can create the biggest possible impact for their message and grow a much larger audience than those people they can reach in real life. I feel like with the pandemic that rolled in 2020 kind of forced the cards on anybody who hadn't adopted a massive online presence and those who were able to adopt relatively fast kind of saw a grow in their business. I know for a lot of authors and people I brought on my platform here talked about how going full online, being forced to not leave their home, not being able to do seminars anymore actually allowed them to connect with more people and fully embrace the online. Have you noticed similar trends with the people you've worked with? I sure have, Jason. So I have kind of a cool story about that. A few years before the pandemic, I began to work with a couple of brothers, their twin brothers, Ralph Brandt and Rich Brandt, and they had been leading this training organization called RDR Group. And when we began to work together, one of the things that we wanted to do was upgrade their online presence. We built a new website. We started to create some email marketing for them. We started to post on LinkedIn. And what I heard from them as the pandemic started is that that investment that they made before they needed to really paid off when the pandemic hit and they needed to pivot. And they saw the benefit. You know, I don't know necessarily, Jason, that people who didn't have an online presence before the pandemic could necessarily pivot so quickly. Because what I've seen is that showing up over time makes a really big difference. And so you can't just show up online and expect to get immediate results. What you need to have been able to do is to share value over time so that people remember you, people like you, they trust you. And that's not something that you can do in a week or a month. It's something that you do over months and years as you choose to bring value to online audiences. I feel like a lot of the messages that help people get maybe started online or want to grow online, make those promises that says that it's going to be quick, it's going to be easy, it's going to be fast. You're saying a bit of the opposite here. So what are you noticing around those messages and the reality of how it really is? Well, to be honest, people don't really like to hear it. People want to think that it's a fast approach or that, you know, they can intermittently share something and create results. The biggest misconception, I think, is that people expect that because you have permission to email to someone that they're automatically ready to buy from you. And that's just not the case. You know, someone giving you their email address and giving you permission to market them is a gift. And they do it because they expect to receive some value, not because they immediately expect to spend. Potentially in the case of e-commerce, you know, you sign up for an email list because you already want to purchase something from a store. But as it relates to content marketing, people are signing up because they think you have content that can make a difference for a problem that they're feeling or an interest area that they have. But they're not automatically trusting you that they want to buy from you. And so it's not realistic to expect that an email list of X thousand is going to convert to sales in the first weeks or months that you're sending to it. Instead, what I really encourage people to do is have a longer term view of what it takes to create value in a business or to see a return financially on the investment that you're making in online spaces. 
So Jason, a story I'd like to tell is the story of 500 trees. And I live on a five acre property in rural Michigan. My husband and I bought a house that was built in the early 1990s. And when the owners of this property bought the house, it was an empty farm field. You know, the road is about a quarter mile from my house. And when they built the house, and I know because I have an aerial photo, you could see the road. Well, you can't see the road now. The reason you can't see the road now is that the owners of the house chose to buy 500 tiny saplings. They chose to cultivate the saplings. They chose even, I met the son of the owner a few weeks ago, and he told me that his dad had them transplant the trees from where they started to grow around the yard to make sure that they could build privacy, right? So the only reason why I live on a property that's wooded and private and quiet is because someone had this view of a longer-term investment in building a peaceful retreat here. And that's really the way it is with online spaces. You have to see ahead to a future where the investment that you're making now will pay off in building the future that you want. And you have to be patient enough to be that person who's going to plant those trees and wait for them to grow. You know, the quote of the Chinese proverb saying the best time to plant a tree was 10 years ago, and now the second best time is to start now. So you actually have an experience with the trees that have grown and have made a difference. And that becomes interesting because if wanting privacy and planting trees is the answer, I feel like when it comes to shining online, you're not sure if you're supposed to be planting trees. And in this case, like, are you going on social media? Which one? You mentioned emails. Is that where I start? There's new platforms. It's like... I don't even know what I want to plant, where to plant it, and how relevant it is to be on that medium. So can you shine a bit of a light as to what might be some of the things we should be paying attention to, maybe starting with if we are getting into this place that we want to be online and we want to shine? Sure. So the very first place to build is the place where you own, right? So, you know, I think what often happens is people make the mistake of building their audience on someone else's platform. And what I caution authors to do first is to look at where's the place that you own and control. I don't know if you remember, Jason, but a few months ago, there was an outage for several hours of Facebook and Instagram. And I tried to think about those people and the only way they have to reach their audience is through Facebook and Instagram. And when there's an outage, there would be a big panic, right? Hey, I have marketing messages going out. Facebook and Instagram are down. What am I going to do? So if you choose to invest first in the place that you own and control, you can be sure that you have a bit more options as it relates to being able to reach your audience. So in my book, I outline what I call the REACH framework. And at the center of the REACH framework is your own domain. It's the only place that you own and control online. You know, if you are a solo person, it's a great idea to try to buy your name as a domain, jasonmarkcampbell.com. And that way there's no mistaking who owns it, you know, the value that can be found there. And that's the place to begin building. This is actually why I started using my middle name, Mark, because Jason Campbell was an already used domain and there's so many Jason Campbells. So I realized, well, might as well put that middle name to work. So jasonmarkcampbell.com. So at least I can have a differentiator. Awesome. I'm so glad you were able to do that. You know, I was able to buy BeckyRobinson.com, despite the fact that there are other Becky Robinsons in the world, if you use Google, who are more famous and more well-known than me, maybe that will change someday. Previously, when I bought the domain, a woman was selling teddy bears and dolls, and I wrote to her for years until she sold me the domain for $500. 
So it's definitely a worthwhile investment, you know, to try to get your name if you can, if not some variation of that. And then once you have a website that clearly displays the value that you're offering to the world, the next thing you want to do is to entice the people who come to your website to sign up for your email list. Because when you can email someone, you have a more sure way of knowing that they're going to receive the message that you're sending. I don't know, Jason, I'm sure you must look at analytics of the performance of your social posts. And what I notice is even if I have 5,000 connections, for example, on LinkedIn, any given post is going to be seen by maybe 200 people. Now, if you compare that to the traction that I get when I send out my email newsletter to 17,000 people, even if only a third of the people open the email, I'm going to reach 5,000 people with that message compared to a similar message sent on LinkedIn that will only reach a couple of hundred. And so the investment to build an email list is a way to build a more ongoing connection. And what I found is, especially as it relates to creating engagement, building relationships, being memorable, sharing value. My email newsletter that I send on Fridays is the single most important thing that I do to build those relationships and connections and to shine in online spaces. If you're trying to stay focused on getting work done and eating throughout the day is something you think about, have to decide, and you're not sure what to do, and you just wish an option was available where the right meal with all of the specifications you want be available to you, easy to make under two minutes, Well, luckily for you, Factor is available where you have over 35 different options a week to choose from, including options like keto, calorie smart, vegan, and veggie. And you can enjoy over 55 nutrition-packed add-ons to help you make your weekly meal planning even more delicious. So what are you waiting for? You can get started today and have a feel-good week of meals ready to go. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking up for something fast that's upscale option done very easily. It's flexible on your schedule where you can get as much or as little as you need by choosing 6 to 18 meals per week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries any time. No prep necessary. They're 100% ready to heat and eat. So there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup necessary. Head to factormeals.com slash sellingwithlove50 and use code sellingwithlove50 to get 50% off. That's code sellingwithlove50 at factormeals.com slash sellingwithlove50 and you'll get 50% off. Not bad. I think this idea of a newsletter, sometimes we'd think that it was a dying idea. You know, there's the newsletters like, oh, nobody uses newsletter anymore. I feel like there's a revival and I think there's a bit of an additional need for the curation of information and that newsletter, which used to be just like a dump of information, now actually is something that we need to really pay attention to. So could you elaborate more on what is the do's and don'ts of this newsletter? Sure, I'd be happy to. And first, I want to say something because I think those of us who create content get tired of content. And the objection I hear a lot from authors and thought leaders is like, well, nobody needs another newsletter. But the mistake that we're making is that we're assuming that everyone else is just like us. And there are a lot of people out there in the world who are not creating content. They're consuming content. They're looking for resources. And so you really need to get beyond your own mindset of, you know, I don't want another newsletter and realize that there are people out there who are hungry for the value that you're creating. And they're not tired of the newsletter. If you can create something compelling that meets someone at their point of need or shares the value that they need in a moment, they will gladly open your newsletter. 
And I also think that people also have this hunger to connect with people, especially in the pandemic. We are so isolated. I work at home. You know, I go to the grocery store. There are not that many places that I show up in real life these days. And so people who also have that experience, they hunger for a true connection. Yesterday, I actually interviewed for my podcast an author, thought leader, Laura Gassner Odding. And one of the things I love about her newsletter is that she shares raw, real experiences from her real life. And she does it in a way that brings home a particular lesson about how someone can thrive in their life and career. If she were merely handing out career advice, it would be cold and stale. But because she chooses to be real and she chooses to bring herself to her writing, it's a newsletter I always want to open. And so I think for those who are thinking about starting out with a newsletter, the more of yourself that you're willing to bring the more interested people will be to read and receive your message. So if it's obviously, you know, corporate, shiny, fancy, you know, I don't know that there's a lot of hunger for that. But if it's authentic, if it's real, if it's true to who you are, then people are drawn to that. The other thing I would say about creating an email newsletter is that I always encourage people to create a sustainable pace for their email marketing. So, you know, you might think that I say I have a weekly newsletter, Laura, LGO, Laura Gassner Odding. She has a weekly newsletter. Well, you know, we've made that particular commitment, but a lot of people can't deliver content at that cadence. And what I would far rather see is someone to say, you know what? I can do a quarterly newsletter. Once a quarter, I'm going to create something that is of value. I'm going to stay connected to my audience and I'm going to be reliable with a quarterly newsletter. I would far rather see that than see someone go, all out for a weekly or monthly newsletter that fizzles after two months. So whatever you commit to, make it sustainable and consistent. For people to get a good example of this, I'm assuming I can send a link here in the show notes of your newsletter and include it in there so people can see what it could potentially look like for themselves. Do you have other examples of maybe newsletters that we should be looking at maybe as inspiration or is this something we should start from scratch with a blank canvas? How would we structure it? Sure. Well, I always encourage our clients to look at other newsletters to see what resonates with them and to consider what might be of value to their audience. But I'm happy to shout out a few that I always open, read, and enjoy. So the first one is Chris Brogan. Chris Brogan has a weekly newsletter. It comes out on Sunday mornings, and I nearly always open it. It's one of the only emails in my inbox on Sunday morning when I wake up about 5 a.m., 6 a.m., it's there. And what I love about Chris's newsletter is he's always inviting interaction on the topics that he's writing about. And so he'll say, hey, tell me, tell me what you're drinking this morning. You know, tell me what you think of this idea that I'm spreading. And the other magical thing about Chris is that if you reply to his email newsletter, he almost always instantly replies I think he must carve out that time on Sundays to engage with and build relationship with his audience. So Chris Brogan is at the top of my list. Another newsletter that I love is Whitney Johnson's newsletter. Whitney was one of the very first clients that my company served when we started our work back in 2012. And I have watched Whitney journey because in the beginning, she was one of those clients who was resistant to the idea of a newsletter. And what I've seen her do over time is to create this vibrant value-filled 
newsletter. And I don't remember what day Whitney's comes out, but it does come out every week. She has a podcast. So she's always talking about the guests on the podcast, but she always frames it in something that's true to her life at that moment. And it's beautiful. And I love it. So I highly recommend Whitney Johnson and her newsletter as well. I already mentioned Laura Gassner Odding. I actually have a Google Drive where I've pulled some examples of newsletters that my team and I love. And I could give that link to you, Jason, to put in the show notes for your listeners. That would be fantastic. I'll make sure to include it. So everybody just have a look in the bonus section. We will have a drive link with some amazing newsletters that we can look into. Although I know we're going way beyond here. We're kind of deep into the newsletter because I think it's a medium that should be considered. Like I said, it's kind of making a revival and the relevancy and putting effort into it, caring about it, curating it, I think is really where you can stand out and not just be another email. I know for me, there's like this numerology emails that I get that I subscribe to, and it just gives you kind of a prediction of the week and the month. And those are things I'll look up to. So like emails that you always have those certain ones that you look up to. And I think finding these newsletters like this, and of course your newsletter as well, are going to be some great things that people can pay attention to. What is it that gets our attention? Because that seems to be the biggest thing right now is trying to get attention in a world where everybody's screaming and the relevancy doesn't seem to always match. And so Aside from the fact that we're building our assets, you know, we want to get these emails. We talked about the newsletter. Now we're engaging with people that we've been able to bring to our ecosystem. But how do we first get them there? Like, how do we first get them to discover that we have a website? Where is it that we can start on that aspect where they don't even know who we are? Great question, Jason. So what I've seen over time is that social media platforms are the place to discover new relationships. But before we talk too much about that, I also want to talk and go back to where we started. So we started with this idea of how do you take your offline expertise and help it shine online? So when you're just first getting started, one of the things that you want to be able to do is to connect with the people who know you in real life in online spaces, because they are likely to be the people, if they are already established online, who know you who like you, who trust you. And if you can involve and engage those folks in sharing about the value that you're creating online, then you can immediately connect to others who might be interested in what you're doing. So you want to really start with those close personal networks, the people who already know you and engage them in sharing about what you're doing. So in order to frame what we want to do as it relates to social media, I want to share about four commitments that I write about in my book. So when we come to social media platforms, and you know, Jason, you talked about the overwhelm and the confusion of not knowing which ones to use. So you want to first think about what is your area of content and where are the people who are interested in that content most likely to be showing up? And it may be that you come to the conclusion that it's difficult to find exactly which channel your audience is using. And you may want to experiment and look at the metrics of how your content begins to perform on various channels. Or you may just want to go with the platform that you enjoy the most. Because if we want to create a sustainable online presence, it's not possible to sustain posting on a channel that we don't personally enjoy or appreciate. So for example, for me, I have two primary channels. I love Instagram these days. And LinkedIn is a place to connect with professionals. So those are the two places where I spend the most energy. But when we think about how we want to show up in those spaces, you want to think about four commitments. And the first commitment is to bringing value. So whatever it is that you have expertise about, that you're passionate about, you want to be sure that you're showing up to offer value 
to people. And it's not going to be valuable to everyone. It's going to be valuable to those people who might, you know, be attracted to that particular area of interest. You know, if people are not interested in growing online presence or making a difference with their ideas online, then most of what I'm sharing is not going to be interesting. They're not going to choose to follow me or engage with my content. So you start with that value that you're bringing. The second thing that you have to do is be consistent. And this is a tough one because what I notice is that people are gung-ho if they have something to sell or launch or a campaign of some kind. And it just doesn't work to show up because you have something to sell or something to launch. What you need to do is bring that value consistently, whether you're looking to sell something or not. And, you know, when I first got started online, it was 2009. And I had, I think, the luxury of not really having anything to sell at first. And so I showed up from about 2009 to about 2011. And my only goal really was to build relationships and connections. And I think that made it possible to forge relationships that when the time came that I was launching a business and launching people's books, that people were already interested in hearing from me because they could see that I was a real person who wanted to build real connections. When you just show up, you know, in an instant and suddenly have something to sell or launch, you don't have that trust built up with people where that they know they can count on you. So you want value and you want consistency. And the third thing that you want is generosity. It's kind of like the antithesis to like, buy from me, listen to me, pay attention to me. It's like, hey, how can I help you? How can I serve you? How can I give to you? And, you know, it doesn't have to be giving financially. You know, it's giving of our time, our energy, our input, our ideas, our creativity, our energy, our encouragement. Generosity is a huge factor in creating online relationships that will stick. And the last one really is longevity of, you know, I'm not going to just show up to launch this thing or sell you this thing, but I'm going to be here over time. I'm going to bring my message consistently. I'm going to share value consistently. And I'm going to do that whether I have something to launch or sell or not. So whatever channel you choose, you need to show up with those four commitments. I think that having those four commitments makes it so that you can actually stand out quite easily because I don't think most people do that. I think you'd be actually the cream of the crop if you can just show up consistently for a long time with quality, generosity, all that good stuff would make you stand out from the crowd. And I think we take that for granted that if you are someone online, you have something of quality you deliver and you jump into the online space. It's not rocket science, but you need to show up. And I think if you do, you can actually make yourself shine online quite easily, which brings me to one of the final questions I want to ask you, Becky, since you're on the Selling with Love podcast, what are your thoughts of selling and do you see it as an act of love? Huh, that is a really great question. I think that if you believe in the thing that you're selling and your perspective is to make a difference with your work, that you're always going to be selling with love. I am the primary business development person in my company. And so sales is a huge part of my job. And what I always try to do is enter any conversation to try to understand what a person needs, to understand what their pain points are, to understand why they've come to me. And it's always my goal when I have a conversation with someone to provide as much value as I can, whether it's in the moment of the call or afterwards when I send follow-up resources, so that even if the person never buys the services that I'm selling, they walk away from that interaction having received something that's of value to them. 
And, you know, I think the way to do that is through love. You have to love what you do. You have to love and care about the people who you're serving. And you have to just be determined that there's plenty of abundance in the world. And so in any interaction, I don't come to the call with the desperation of needing to sell the services that my company offers. But instead, I come with open hands to understand there is plenty of work in the world and the right work will land. And yet I have the gift of this moment to talk to and interact with someone to build a connection and to share something hopefully that will make a difference for them. Becky, what a beautiful and fantastic end to an amazing conversation we've had. For everybody listening, really what we talked about is so many ways that you can take your offline skills and bring it online. Some key things that I took away from this is really the importance of building your own assets, not going on other people's platform. When we talk about having an email list, having your website, and even using the tool, the newsletter, as some way to keep that engagement happening so that when people receive emails from you, it's not just you promoting your next product, sending that next campaign. It's actually because they look forward to receiving information from you that you've curated, you've personalized and added your own spin to it. I think that's another big thing that I wanted to take away from this conversation is realizing that oftentimes I know myself, I try to communicate information to the point, clear, concise, and I don't put as much as myself into the conversation, but I think there is that innate twist that unique way that you share information that has a bit of your character in it. And that is a key point that needs to shine to stand out and to align your own tribe with you. As Becky was mentioning earlier, we got a ton of resources as well that are in the bonus section of the show notes where you can be able to grab that and start looking at examples that you could use yourself. And of course, if you're putting out that content online, you're building those relationships, starts with your real life connections that you're making online, and then use the platforms, whether it's LinkedIn, Instagram, whichever one you're comfortable with and whichever one you can find the people you work with is usually the good place to start. And of course, go in with the four pillars that we've shared in this conversation so that you can be the one that stands out being generous, being consistent, showing up for the long term and really providing value all around. Becky, thank you so much for your time and for the work that you do. And for everybody tuning in, you've just received some great insights on how to take your skills that are offline and bring them to the online world and shine. Thank you, Jason. I am your host, Jason Mark Campbell, and this is the Selling with Love podcast.